Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. My name is Brian Alzate. This is Hell Has an Exit. We have a special guest. We have uh, Anita Carl, and she's going to tell her story about surviving the Holocaust. You could start from the beginning, however you do. My name is Anita Carl, and I am a Holocaust survivor. I will tell you the story of what happened to us. We survived the blackest and darkest hour in human history. I was born in a city called Lwów in Poland on May 26, 1938, into a large patriarchal, orthodox, and well-to-do family. Lwów was a city that was recognized as the third most important city in Poland. It was a cosmopolitan, cultured, and educated city. It had palaces, it had opera houses, it had theaters, schools, and uh, many universities and educational places. The Jewish community lived peacefully among the Gentiles. Uh, Many of them were professionals, others were bankers, others were educators, but uh, for many, many hundreds of years, there had been peace and a nice unity amongst the Gentiles and the Jews. My family was a very large family. My father, Samuel Carl, was one of six brothers, and my mother, Mali Brandt, was the youngest of 10 siblings. All were married and with several children each. Among the millions of Jews brutally murdered, all my aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents perished. The only survivors against all odds were my mother and her three daughters. In my house, we were three little girls, my mother and my father but we belonged to a very large family, as I said, and holidays and Friday nights were celebrated together. So my first three years of life were among a loving and wonderful family life. I knew what it was to have grandparents. I knew what it was to have uncles and aunts and go to visit them often or they would come 
to visit us in our house. All of this disappeared when the Germans invaded our city. My father's brothers, they all lived also in the neighborhood of our house, except for the oldest brother who was a doctor in Vienna. He was practicing medicine until 1938, when the Germans annexed Austria, and so they brought with them the Nuremberg Laws, which prohibited the Jews to have a job, to go to university and study, to own a building or an apartment, or execute any job whatsoever. With these Nuremberg laws that were planned many years before, they were able to demoralize the Jewish population completely. So my uncle, who was a bachelor, decided to leave Vienna since he was told he could no longer practice medicine. He applied to many countries for a visa, but unfortunately, all the countries, the United States, England, South Africa, and many others refused his plea, except for a country in South America, Peru, who accepted him, and so he left Europe in 1938 with one of the last ships that went to South America and immigrated to Peru, where he established himself again as a doctor. He was a renowned cardiologist and became even doctor to the president of the Republic and his family. In the meantime, in Poland, we were subject to terrible changes. The Germans invaded our city in 1941, and in September, on September the 15th, they came to our house. My mother had just given birth to my youngest sister, and she was still in bed, could not uh, get up. She was told that she had 24 hours to leave the house. As I remember very vaguely, I can see the beautiful house we had and how it was robbed of everything, looted. The Germans took with them all the valuable items. They took paintings and they took carpets and whatever they thought was valuable, the silver, the porcelains, everything they looted and took away and gave us 24 hours to move into the ghetto. The ghetto was a very poor part of the city. It was in decadence, it was uh, dirty, it was abandoned. 
but they forced us to move there in order to have control of all the Jewish population. My grandmother was a business lady. She and my grandfather owned a factory. They manufactured baby carriages. And my grandmother exported throughout Europe all these baby carriages. But when the Nazis came, even though she said they won't touch me because I do business with them, even though she thought that, but they were one of the first ones forced into the ghetto. So they also made us wear the star, the yellow star of David, in order to identify us, to restrict our movements. We were mistreated terribly. They tried to dehumanize us. They tried to kill us. They tried to murder every one of us. These uh, plans had been made many, many years ago. Uh, in 1933, the Nazi movement surged in Germany, and although we thought and we knew that Germany was one of the most educated and progressive countries in Europe, they behaved so terribly that it is also a misfavor to consider them animals. They were people that lost their conscience. They were people that lost their soul. They were people that were blinded by hatred, bigotry, intolerance. Anti-Semitism is like an illness that corroded them to the soul. They forgot the word compassion. They forgot the word humanity and blindly they went ahead murdering all these people, innocent people, people that had never done harm to them. On the contrary, throughout history, had always contributed to the well-being of their surroundings and had contributed with many discoveries. There are many Nobel Prizes that have been given to Jewish people throughout history. What we endured was unimaginable, and just to survive was an accomplishment. But to survive with our sanity intact was nothing short of a miracle. They had planned how to murder the Jews of Europe. They had decided that they were a superior race. They were the Aryan race. And whoever was not like them was considered inferior. The words they used was Übermensch, which means in German, superior man, and Untermensch, which means lower, below them, and whoever was below them was not considered human. So if the Untermenschen could not live amongst them, the solution was to kill them. 
and they planned extermination camps, they planned the ghettos, they planned experiments on us. Everything was executed to the minimal dot. They hired architects, they hired doctors, they hired engineers, and they were able to murder six million of my brothers and sisters. Amongst them was a million and a half innocent children who never had the chance to grow up and to be somebody, to contribute to the world. Maybe amongst them would have been someone who would have discovered the vaccine to COVID-19 or so many other illnesses that are still rampant amongst us and have not been, the cure has not been discovered. These children lie in the grounds of Poland, Germany, Russia, all over Europe. Europe is a large cemetery of innocent people who perished in the most brutal way. And the rest of the world stood by, watched silently. No one came to our aid. No one came to rescue us. Many knew what was going on, but no one wanted to interfere. They were bystanders. Today, we know that we can never be bystanders again. We have to take a hand in every injustice, in every moment of bigotry, in every moment of anti-Semitism, in every moment of discrimination in any form or shape. We must learn to be tolerant of other people. If nothing else, the Holocaust has taught us that. And we must never forget it. Because if we forget, all of this can happen again. Life in the ghetto where we ended up was very, very terrible. And there are few words that could truly describe it. My sisters and my parents moved into a little apartment. We had a room, only the corner of the room, since in that same room there were already three families when we arrived. We had a mattress on the floor and a corner of the room for five people. There was a bathroom at the end of the corridor and there was a line to stand in for food. We only had one ration a day. We had to stand in the morning to receive a stale piece of dark bread and a cup of water. I ate this bread crumb by crumb in order to make it last 24 hours. The conditions were terribly deplorable. It was a man-made hell where it was easier to die than to live. People died of hunger. People died 
for sport of the Germans who took pleasure in just shooting people randomly, the old rabbis were made fun of. They pulled their beard, they bullied them, they kicked them around. Many lied on the street and no one could help them. No one could come near them because the Germans would shoot them. All kinds of illnesses came upon us. There was typhoid, there was the cold we were not prepared for, we had no clothes, no adequate clothes, and so the years went by. And almost 18 months we suffered and survived somehow, miraculously, we survived. Soon the Germans were planning to close the ghetto. To close the ghetto meant that they would send all the people from the ghetto to the concentration camps where they would be murdered. And the plans were to send them with, through the trains and the cattle carts where they would put a hundred people standing shoulder to shoulder who had to travel for many hours. And if they survived that terrible trip, awaiting them was Auschwitz, Treblinka, Majdanek, and other concentration camps where they were poisoned, where they were burned, where they were taken and separated from their families. But still in the ghetto, we did not know what would happen. And as a little girl of three years old, I was three or maybe four, I was playing with my little cousin still in the ground on a street in a corner, imagining other things, imagining dolls and colored papers, maybe thinking of things that were no longer our reality. And one of these days, a German came by. We were sitting there, half starred, half naked, playing with stones and pieces of wood when the German came upon us and took out a chocolate bar. And he said, who would like to eat this chocolate bar? Both of us were startled. Can you imagine after almost two years not having seen a chocolate bar? And we both got up and we ran to him saying, I want it, I want it. And my little cousin was faster than I was, and she came to him before me. He lifted her up, and with one hand, he gave her the chocolate bar, and with the other, he took out his revolver and shot my cousin in the head. When my cousin lay on the floor, he got up, cleaned his pants, and continued walking. Can you imagine the cruelty The murderer had not even one ounce of compassion in him. He was a young man, probably 
20 or 22. What harm has this child made him? How could he be so inhuman? And all this, these events, these things happened only 75 years ago. It was not the Middle Ages where people were superstitious or people were savages in the Stone Age. No, no, no. It was just 75 years ago. It is impossible to explain, but that was only the beginning. The murders continued throughout. In 1943, they decided to close the ghetto. They brought all the Jews that they could catch and find to the ghetto in Lvov and decided to send them on the trains to the concentration camps. They were able to round up 150,000 human beings, 150,000 Jews of Lvov. From those 150,000, only 200 survived. I am one of those 200 people that survived. We survived because of the enormous valor and courage of my mother, who would not allow us to be murdered, to be killed by the Germans. Shortly before the closure of the ghetto, and the concentration camp that was built next to the ghetto in Lvov called Yanovska, which was a slave working camp. The men from the ghetto, all the Jews, would leave the ghetto early in the morning and go to Yanovska, where they were mistreated, starved, and had to work from early in the morning until late at night. Those who could not keep up were simply shot. The dead people lie on the streets of the city, of the ghetto. No one was allowed even to bury them because that would be a waste of time. So we lived among these dead people on the streets, the fear and the hunger, which were our daily bread, until they decided to take those people and send them to the concentration camp for the extermination, the final solution to their problem. Just before that, they decided that the children under 12 years old were not able to travel in the cart shoulder to shoulder with the adults. And so they decided to murder all the children because that would facilitate the transportation. When my parents heard this, they were not astounded because they had already seen what was going on, 
But they stood up and they said, we will not allow this. We will find a solution and we will not allow it. And so my mother and my father uh, began preparation for an escape from the ghetto. An escape from the ghetto was practically impossible. The ghetto was surrounded by barbed wire. They were soldiers paroling with the dogs. But our luck was that it was winter. It was very, very cold. It was most of the day snowing. And the Germans had always everyday visitors. Their families would come. Their wives, who had moved from Germany to Lvov, to our city, the wives and the children of the commandants were there, and they would come to visit on a daily basis their husbands inside the ghetto. And then towards the evening, they would leave. So my mother decided that she would dress us up she took off the Star of David from our clothing. She took some of the jewelry that was still left where she, she and her sisters had hidden it, and she sewed it in her underclothing. My father had a cousin who was a pharmacist. She begged her to bring her a vial of poison. She would rather poison her daughters and herself than fall into the hands of the Nazis. So once the preparations were made, my father unfortunately could not leave because he was either working at Janowska or they would recognize him as a Jew. So we had more the what they call the Aryan type. I was very blonde, my hair was very straight and long, I had braids. My little sister was almost a baby still, she was less than two years old, I was already five, and my oldest sister was six, and we were very well educated and we would not speak unless spoken to. And so, holding on to my mother, we made, we left the ghetto mingling among the wives of the commandants. We left without looking back, with no documents, with nothing with us, and went straight to the train station. At the train station, there was a train leaving, we didn't even know where to. And we boarded this train, and my mother sat next to a woman who was on the train, and she put whatever she was carrying, suitcase and some bundles, next to the woman. And started a nice conversation with her, and then suddenly she had to go to the bathroom, and a few minutes later she came back, and she started to rummage, uh, where is my purse, where is my purse? Somebody uh, took my purse, she asked the woman, and the woman said, look, there were so many people coming and going, and someone stole your purse. 
But the reality was that my mother did not have a purse. She had no documents. She had nothing. And so when the conductor and the German officer came to check the papers, she was able to tell him my purse was stolen. And the woman was her alibi. And she said, yes, I saw this lady with her children and her purse was here, but somebody took it. And so we were able to continue our trip and arrive into a small uh, city town called Buchach. We disembarked in Buchach, did not know where to go or what to do. We had no documents, and that was very dangerous. So the woman said to my mother, don't worry, I will help you out. My husband is the mayor of the city, and he will take you to the police station, and they will interrogate you, but they will give you the papers you need. And so uh, my mother left my baby sister and my oldest sister with the woman and took me along because I was the Aryan girl. And when we got to the police station, they interrogated my mother. They asked many, many questions. And finally, they brought a Bible. And my mother had to swear on the Bible that to the third generation, there was not one drop of Jewish blood in our veins. Once she swore, she was given the documents that were required, and so our life in Buchach began. My life as a Catholic girl began. We had to make them believe that we were Catholics because otherwise many Polish people were ready to give us up to the Germans if they would suspect that we were Jewish. My life as a girl growing up in a Polish surrounding was quite nice. I started to go to church. I learned the Catholic prayers. And very shortly, in a short span of time, I forgot that I was Jewish and I believed that I was Catholic. And the best part of being Catholic were the holidays, where the church was the church with the priest that was a very nice person. I even got to help him with the mass. And my heart and soul went into this new life. It was not very peaceful, though. Bombs kept falling on us. Schools were destroyed. If I went to school for one day or two, the third day it was gone. The fear of being persecuted and the thought of being killed vanished for these few, almost two years. I had one pair of shoes that I only wore on Sundays. The rest of the week I went barefoot. And to this day, I prefer to <laughs> walk barefoot than to wear shoes. And uh, I had a white dress for church. 
And I had a few friends that lived in the surroundings. A few months, a couple of months really after we escaped, my mother wanted to help my father to escape also. And so with the jewels that she had taken with her from her sisters and her own, she was able to get my father smuggled out of the ghetto by a Polish couple who somehow was able to get him out. And he came to us, but we were not allowed to see him because children tend to say things. And when and if we would have mentioned that somebody's hiding in our house, the Polish owner of the house that we were renting would certainly go to the Gestapo and tell them. So my father hid behind a closet all day long and only came out at night. And those were years where I was not able to see him and to know that he was there. Only once when I got very, very ill, I had uh, diphtheria, an infection of the throat, and uh, we had no antibiotics in those years. So they thought I would really die. And my father came out that night and held me in his arms and caressed me, and I felt so much better the next day. And I asked my mother, who was this gentleman who was with me all night long? And while he was with me that night, he took off his scarf and put it around my neck to make me feel better. But my mother, afraid that then we would tell, and she said, no, you were delirious. You had a high fever. You thought you saw someone, but there was really no one here. But I had my scarf, and I knew in my heart that there was. But my mother was very adamant, so we were not used to contradict her or insist. And so to this day, I keep the scarf with me, and it goes wherever I go, and it is my talisman, my treasure. And so the war prolonged itself, but it was coming to an end. In 1944, the Russians started to advance and the Germans started to retreat towards Germany. And they would not allow the civil population to remain in the cities. And they took all the civils with them, all the people the neighborhood, the people who lived in Buchach with them on interminable marches. And we, my mother and the three of us, had to go also. And uh, she took some things with her because winter was coming, although it was June when we started the march towards uh, Krakow, towards Germany. There were no buses or trains for us. Everything had been bombed. We had to walk. Sometimes there was a train, but mostly it was walking. My father, again, could not come with us. 
uh, he had no documents. Nobody knew him. Nobody had seen him in two years. So it was very, very dangerous. And my mother had to make a choice. She had to make a choice. Should she save her husband and go to the woods where she could hide or save the children? My father told her, save the children. One day they will be witnesses to these horrors that happened, and they will never allow this to happen again. They were prophetic words. Although my mother was able to save us, she was not able to save my father. My father was found uh, two days later, taken to the woods where he was made to dig his grave, and he was shot. And I do not know where he lies. I cannot go to visit him and take some flowers to his grave. Soon the war was over, and we made our way to Berlin, to Germany. Germany was divided in four, and the American sector was uh, helping the survivors. Into the American sector came many Jewish organizations and helped the people that survived to relocate them. Uh, we were living in DP camps. We were displaced people. Uh, no place to go. And there were lists posted by the American Red Cross. And people all over the world were looking for relatives, for survivors. From the city that I was born in, very few survived. They ended up taken to the concentration camps where they were murdered. They were made to shower and a venomous gas would come out and kill them in a few minutes. Then they were taken to the crematorium and they were burned. Their ashes were sprinkled over their gardens. From the hair of the people, they made mattresses. From the skin, they made lamps. And from human fat, they made soap. These atrocities were unheard of. And today, they are unbelievable. But these things happened. And today, we must think of our future and never allow this to happen again. For we are all the same. It doesn't matter what color is our skin or our religion or our preferences in sexual matters. What is important is who we are, our soul. We all have a soul. We all belong to the human race. And anti-Semitism, bullying, lack of tolerance is not allowed. We must stand up and defend these human rights. For otherwise, we will have to visit the past again. From Germany, from the DP camps, we were found by our uncle, who was the doctor in Lima, and he brought us to Peru, where we started a new life. 
And I found out about my roots, about my being Jewish, and about where I belong. And I have embraced my old traditions and the old religion of my ancestors and my parents. And I have educated my children and my descendants, my grandchildren, in our faith, which is the oldest monotheistic religion in the world. So I am very proud of being Jewish, and I am lucky that even today I am here to tell my story of fight and survival. And those that listen to me remember always that tolerance is the most important thing in our lives. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions for a couple of minutes. I don't know if you're aware, but the name of the podcast is Hell Has an Exit. So I think a lot of times people in recovery feel like they're going through the worst thing they've ever gone through. And, you know, it's a very hellish situation to be addicted to drugs. But I think uh, there's nothing more hell-like than what happened in the Holocaust. And your experience there is probably one of the worst things to ever happen on human earth that was only 75 years ago. Um, you know, when you said that it was only 75 years ago, it's really shocking to hear that because we often think that it was so long ago and um, it's still in our lifetime. What was spirituality like for you or like a connection with a higher power, some type of God that your mother had? Or did you see people, you know, that their faith had helped them during the Holocaust or they lost their faith? No, the faith is what kept us alive. The faith is very, very strong. And there is always a way out. You just need to look for it. No matter how terrible the circumstances look, there is always a way if there is a will. It is within us. We have the strength to overcome every horrible situation around us. And where I was, there is nothing more hellish than that in the world. There is nothing. And yet my mother, a young woman with three little children, was able to find a solution, was strong enough had the courage to say to herself, I must do this and I will survive. And so with you that are listening to me, you are strong. You can do it. You can come out victorious. And I am positive that you will. Thank you so much. So for people like us that are in recovery that are addicts, a lot of times meeting someone else who's an addict is very empowering for us because we get to, you know, have a real community of people like us. What was it like getting out of the Holocaust and seeing other survivors? Do you guys still keep in touch? Unfortunately, most of them are gone now. We kept in touch. My mother kept in touch with several but I am one of the youngest survivors. So 
many survivors are no longer with us. And soon, in not many years, but hopefully enough to give us still a chance to enjoy life, we will only be a page in a history book. Mm -hmm. So now that I am still able to speak to you and to tell you my story, I truly believe that everything is in our hands, that we are strong, that we can overcome many situations, and we never should lose hope, because in hope, regardless of what religion you belong to and what you believe in, you have to believe in yourself first and foremost, because the strength lies within you to overcome anything, any situation, no matter how terrible it looks. One last question. What is it like when you guys get together? I'm sure there's conventions and stuff like that. Uh, what does it feel like to be with you know, other survivors and to just talk about it or to have survived it with other people? We, each one of us, has gone through hell and back. There is no such thing I suffered more than you. We all suffered the same. We try to talk about our children and what we have accomplished, our descendants. Because in their faces, we see that actually we have won. We were not defeated by the Germans. We, because we are here, we have survived and we have won and they have lost. So you must win the addiction that you are in. You have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in God and make it so that you will win and the addiction will lose. And uh, since we are here, and thank God, many survived, not enough, but many, it is proof that you can accomplish it. I only wish that you all will succeed, that you all will win, and remember always that you have the strength to do it. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate that. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.